Let's to, well, if you go to 1 John chapter 5, Hebrews, James, 1, 2 Peter, 1 John chapter 5, if you go there and just hold your place there, I'll catch up with you just in a moment. Because I'm going to read uh, just a verse from John chapter 16. And Jesus speaking in John chapter 16 said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but, and it's a good but, isn't it? It's a wonderful but. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? For I have overcome the world. So no matter what happens in this world, the battle has already been fought and won. And he has overcome. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. No matter where I have ministered, whether here or in different countries around the world over the years, I have found that there is something that is common to everyone. All of us have to deal with it. Can it be avoided, evaded, or ignored? All of us has to consider it. We've got to contend with it and we've got to conquer it. Either we defeat it or it defeats us. What am I talking about? The Bible's got a name for it. It's simply called the world. It's not a geographical location. It is a spirit. I don't mean a demonic spirit, but that spirit that permeates this whole world that to a large degree is against Christ. Now sometimes geographically, depending where you live, that can be more evident. But generally the world over, the attitudes, the social order of things, generally that's when the Bible talks about the world. It touches every part of our lives. It's man in his fallen state. Man in his corruption and rebellion, its dangers, its lawlessness, its decay, its moral decay. It attacks our minds, our bodies, our very souls, our very walk with God. Should this surprise us? Not really. Should it cause us to be fearful and defeat us, make us defensive and go into retreat? Absolutely not, because Jesus said he's already overcome it. And if we are born of him from above, then we too can overcome this world. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let me just share with you briefly tonight just some things, keys if you want to call it that, that helps us overcome the world. Now when I mean overcome, I mean conquer, defeat. Uh, Let me give you... A kind of an illustration. A world champion boxer did not become a world champion boxer 
in his first fight. Generally, he started out perhaps in a club somewhere as a, as a boy and became then a young amateur boxer. Who knows, maybe he progressed and went to the Olympic Games as an amateur and then maybe turned professional and had his first professional fights. But he didn't become a world champion boxer even in his first professional fight. He had to win again and again and again and again and again till eventually he reaches the very pinnacle and he takes on the champion and he defeats him. And he has overcome the world in that sense, his world. So first of all, we have to realize that we are born again to overcome. That's what John said. We're born again to overcome. Whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. That's our birthright. We are spiritually, mystically born again into the body of Christ. Can't explain it. But we believe it by faith and according to the Word of God. But as soon as that happens, then we have got a position of authority and power. Now, we gotta, we're babes in Christ and we've got to learn as we go on. But absolutely, God expects us. He wills it. He's made provision for it. And we can and we should and we will overcome the world. Apostle Paul says, thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Paul says in Colossians 2.15, having, speaking of Christ, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, the cross puts us in the driving seat. What Christ has done on the cross, he's defeated the world, he's defeated sin, he's defeated Satan, and he's put us in a position because we are born of God to be able to overcome. God believes that you're an overcomer. Do you believe that? Actually, truthfully, if we believe it, nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us if we believe that. If we truly believe that we are overcomers in Christ, then there's not a demon in hell can stop us from fulfilling what God has planned for our lives. Secondly, you've got to use the faith that God has given you. And 1 John 5 and 4, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Our simple faith in God is one of the greatest weapons in our armory. It's one of our greatest assets. It truly is. That quiet, steady confidence in Christ, that trust in God, that's faith, and that helps us overcome. 1 John 5 and 5, Who is he that overcomes the world? but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. A simple equation. You're born again of God's Spirit. You believe in the Son of God. Therefore, you're an overcomer. That's what God's Word says. That's what He expects. That's what He wills. That's what He wants. Faith is a wonderful thing that God has dropped into our spirits. Faith is the currency of heaven. Anything we're going to get from God, it will be by faith. 
without faith it's impossible to please God. And so it's a simple trust and belief in Him. That's how we receive from Him. We are saved through faith, for by grace are you saved through faith. Not, not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works so that none of us can boast. We're justified by faith, Romans 5 and 1. We're made righteous by faith. We please God by faith. We're healed by faith. We receive wisdom by faith. And God has given to each of us the measure of faith. And so none of us are without faith. Not one of us. You say, well, mine's not very big. Is it a mustard seed? Jesus said that can move a mountain. So there's none of us that hasn't got a measure of faith. The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And whenever the Apostle Paul is speaking about our warfare as Christians, which is not fleshly, it's not flesh and blood we fight against, but principalities and power, spiritual wickedness and high places, Ephesians 6, when he talks about that, what is one of the things he talks about? The shield of faith. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. And the shield that the Roman soldier had was a big shield. It wasn't a wee piddly thing. When he was on the battlefield, he had a big shield. And it was covered in leather. Several folds of it. That must have been quite heavy. But those were strong big fellas. And when they were out in the battlefield, that had to cover his whole body because the enemy would be throwing fiery darts. So he had to be able to lift that shield up and cover himself. Above all, he said, above all, taking the shield of faith. You can look at that two ways. You can look at that as the most important thing. But actually, the Word of God is the most important thing, really, isn't it? The belt of truth, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Any faith we have is built by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing what? By the Word of God. Without the Word of God, our faith is useless. It's just natural faith. I know if I put my backside in that stage, it's going to hold me up. At least I think it is anyway. Yes, it is, because it held all those people up on it tonight. But I don't need supernatural faith for that, sure don't. But the faith that God's talking about here, that Paul's talking about in Ephesians 6, it's a different type of faith, isn't it? It's a God-given faith. And he says that we can use it as a defensive weapon against the fiery darts of the evil one. So when he speaks about above all, He's talking about not so much as an importance, but in the position of it. That we can hold it up and we can keep it in front of us. To block all those fiery darts of the evil one. So that when they do come, and they will come, but if they hit our shield of faith, they'll drop off our shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith. The word taking is analambano. That's a big word for you. Analambano. And analambano is actually two words. Ana means to, it means up, it means again, 
And lambano means to, to take something up, to take something in hand. So if you put the two together, adalambano, it means to, to pick up, to take something up again. And we've got to constantly take that shield of faith up again. And some of us, perhaps because of circumstances of life, perhaps we have laid down our shield of faith. And right now all we're getting is the fiery darts of the evil one. But the good news is that we can pick it up again. We can take it up again. And even though you may be discouraged tonight, and maybe you're thinking this faith thing doesn't really work, it's not working for me at all, and perhaps you've laid it down, listen, pick it up again. Pick it up again. Because without it, all you'll get are the fiery darts of the evil one. And so we have faith to help us overcome the world. Thirdly, get an agreement with what God is saying. When we agree with something, we say what it says and we do what it does, don't we? We say what it says and we do what it does. The world is contrary to the Word of God. Almost everything you can think about in the world, in the world of the media particularly, if you listen it long enough, sooner or later you're going to find that it's contrary to the Word of God. That's just the way that it is. That's the world that we live in. That's what we battle against. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And so we need to be prepared for that, and we need to filter that. I was watching a program, I think it was last night, the night before, and it's about a very clever man in Queen's University. He's a professor, and he's done a, a fantastic study, years of study on particularly oak trees that were hundreds of years old, that were buried for thousands of years in, in, in bogs. And having surfaced or having dug them up, he's been looking at the rings. And he made an amazing discovery. That in all the ones that he dug up, at some point in the rings, something catastrophic happened, he said. And at first he thought, well, that's only in Ireland. And then he looked further afield. And then further afield. And what he's discovered, it's global. Everywhere he looks, he's getting the same thing. So what is this catastrophic event? And he scratches his head, and he's a very smart man, and he goes away, and he thinks it's this, or it may be that, and he has all kinds of, of ideas about it. But he's come to the firm conclusion that at some point, it was either a comet or a giant asteroid had hit the earth, and it caused this cataclysmic event. And I'm sitting there, he's not a professor, and I'm sitting thinking, hello, what about the flood? Is that not a worldwide catastrophic event? That doesn't even come into his reckoning. Because that's the way the world thinks. But our worldview is from the Bible. Not from the Word, but from the Bible. And it's the simplest answer to all. A worldwide global event. <laughs> and they totally dismiss it. And they're looking for something outside of the world for it to happen. Of course, for a while it was the an asteroid killed the dinosaurs. And now they're not sure about that. 
well, maybe that's not so true. Maybe it was something else. And then it'll be next year it'll be another thing and then another thing. That's the word wisdom the Bible talks about. And so we need to agree with the Word of God. Romans chapter 1 puts like this, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Did you notice that? Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. The reason why a lot of people are atheists is because they don't want to deal with God in their lives. That's the bottom line. If they say, well, there is a God, well, that beggars the question, well, what are you going to do about it? And they don't want to deal with that issue. So they suppress that truth. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but because, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools." If you look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 to 26, you'll see the contrast, and it's very bold relief, between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. If you ever wanted to see the difference between the world and the kingdom of God, that's where you look, and it's very, very different. We'll not take the time to read it or go into it tonight because most of you know it well enough, but that's where you'll see it in bold relief. So John writes in 1 John 2.14, I write unto you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. If we don't understand the word of God, read the word of God, hear the word of God, get the word of God deep into our hearts, then we'll believe what the Word tells us because we'll have no other framework to go by. But the more you read the Word of God, the more you begin to understand the Word of God, the more you meditate on the Word of God, the more you look at the Word of God, the more you see the Word for what it is. Joshua 1 and 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. I love the Psalms and I love particularly David's passion for the Word of God. Psalm 119 is the longest psalm, isn't it? And every verse speaks of the Word of God, His statutes, His commandments, His ordinances, over and over and over. He's running out of words to describe it. He loves it. He meditates. He says it's like honeycomb. Wonderful. What is our passion for the Word of God? Do we love the Word of God? Or does this book stay closed from one end of the week to the next? Do we love to hear the Word of God? Do we meditate on it at night? See, Ken was standing at the back of the 
the room tonight when the worship was going on, and what came to his mind? The Word of God. How did that come to his mind? Because he's been reading it. Not necessarily five minutes before he came into the service, but it was in his heart. And what's in your heart will come out over your mouth. Won't it? And so when you fill your heart with the Word of God, then that will come up. It just pops up sometimes. Or maybe you're lying in your bed some night and you're, you're wondering about things and suddenly a scripture will just come into your heart. It's there. It's already been put in there. It's placed there. It's planted there. That helps us to overcome the world. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He was intimate with the Scriptures. You could say, wait a minute, but he was the Word of God made flesh. Yes, but he had to learn it at his mother's knee. Again, a young Jewish boy growing up, he had to be taught and he had to learn, in his humanity, he had to learn and be taught and memorize the Word of God. He probably could have reamed off whole chapters if he desired to. But he's very intimate with these scriptures. And so when the temptation came at his hour of trial, what's the first thing to come out of his mouth? The Word of God. Then it goes on, the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Now the enemy can quote scripture too. But when he quotes it, it's to try to trick us and trap us. For he shall give his angels charge over you. That's from Psalm 91 and 11. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Psalm 91 and 12. But Jesus said unto him, It is written again, You shall not tempt, you shall not put to test the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 6.16 this time. He just flips back in his mind a couple of chapters. Then the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Deuteronomy 6.13 It was right in the very tip of his tongue. Because it was in his heart. And he just knew what scripture to take out to defeat the enemy. I wish we were always like that. I wish we were as sharp as that at all times. When a temptation comes, you get that phone call or that bad news, that the first thing that would come to our brains would be the word of God. But that doesn't always happen. Sure it doesn't. Let's be honest. Panic's usually the first thing that happens, isn't it? But then you begin to think, 
Now, what's God saying here? And then we delve into the Word of God. Hebrews 1 and 3, the Lord upholds all things by the word of his power. Does it say the power of his word? Although that's what it means. That's what it actually means, but it says the word of his power. In other words, his power is released through his word. And God said, let there be, and there was. So his word is powerful, but the emphasis is on his word. He spoke it, and it was powerful, and something happened. And then quickly, look to the greater one inside you. 1 John 4, 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The greater one is in us tonight. That's something we can boast about, not in ourselves, but in him. He is in us, the hope of glory. He's in us by his spirit. Who are the them that John's speaking of here? You have overcome them. Well, you've got to read the context. I mean, the church wasn't very, very old until it was starting to be infiltrated with false teachers and false teaching because that's how the enemy sets about to try to destroy the church of Christ. So John is particularly speaking here about false teachers seducing spirits, the spirit of error, isms and schisms and anything and everything that challenges Christ and challenges His rule and His reign in our lives. Anything that reduces his deity and his power and his glory. That's the them. That's the world. But John said, you have overcome them because greater is he is in you than he who is in the world. The Bible tells us that in the last days that deception will be so real, it will appear so real, that even those, and perhaps especially those who believe in the power of God, will have to be the most vigilant. We want to see the power of God, don't we? The Word doesn't want to see it. We want to see it. But Jesus said in the last days, there will be a power, and there will be signs and wonders. But he says, be very, very careful. Matthew 24. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect see I have told you beforehand. In the last days, deception will come so close to the real thing. It will appear so close to the real thing that if it was possible, we would be deceived. 
That's a scary thought, isn't it? But that's what Jesus said. And he says, see, I've told you before. So be careful. Look out for this. Watch it. You say, well, surely if it's a great sign of wonder, well, surely only God could do that. No. The magicians and Moses, <laughs> they threw their rods down and they turned into snakes. That's some power, isn't it? Where did that power come from? It didn't come from God. So we need to look to the greater one inside of us. Ephesians 4. We'll be through in a wee minute. I know it's hot tonight. Verse 11, Ephesians 4. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, a mature man that is, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting. One of the things that's kind of crept into the church over this past lot of years is that doctrine is a dirty word. And it's dry and it's boring. And it's divisive and all the rest of it. Strange thing is that the Apostle Paul was a big, big exponent of it. Huh? He didn't think that. And neither should we. Because that's how we could be deceived. If we do not know what we believe and what we ought to believe. First Timothy chapter four. Verse one now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, sanctified by the word of God in prayer. And verse 13 till I come, Paul said, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. He's very adamant. Because they were dealing with the world that had come into the church in their day. And it had come in as false teaching, trying to disrupt, trying to divide, trying to destroy the church of Christ. So he said to these pastors, Timothy, and he said to Titus, just across the page, in fact, he talks to Titus here. Verse 
Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has given, not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God wants us to have a sound mind. He wants us, our minds to be clear and to know what God's word is saying. Look to the greater one inside us. Name of Jesus is a very powerful thing. Not a talisman, not an abracadabra, but it's a very powerful thing. Philippians 2 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Peter says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. Every one of us, we go in his name. We carry his name. We represent his name. And his name is very powerful. Much more than perhaps we realize particularly in the Western world. But in other parts of the world, the very name of Jesus would cause a riot. <laughs> Everywhere Paul went, he had a riot or revolution. Sometimes he had both at the same time, didn't he? And often it was centered around that name. What did the Sanhedrin say to Peter and the early apostles when they began to preach? Not to preach in that name. They hated the name, and Satan hates the name of Jesus. I say to you again, why do you think that that name is the most blasphemed name on earth? Why? Because he despises it, and he's afraid of it. And the demons are afraid of it. Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? So that name carries a lot of power and a lot of authority. And then very quickly, remember Revelation 12, 11. Here was a great secret of the saints. You know it. Listen to it. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto the death. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. There's the cross. And by the word of their testimony, there's the confession. And they did not love their lives unto the death, there's the commitment. And what a commitment that was. It's hardly likely that you or I in this part of the world will ever have to lay down our lives for Christ and his gospel. It's hardly likely. But people are doing it all over the world tonight. At our prayer meeting on Thursday night, we showed a little clip of persecution in India. I don't know whether it was Muslims or Hindus, but what we do know, it was against Christians. And they trailed them out onto the street and they beat them and they battered them and they kicked them and they took sticks to them and they hammered them into the dust. And the police stood by and did 
Nothing. Not a thing did they do. The only thing they did when they rendered them unconscious, they picked them up and they threw them into their back of their van to take away. Whether they're living or dead, we don't know. Some of them might have been dead. And even while they were lying unconscious, they were stamping on them and kicking them and battering their bodies. And the only thing they were guilty of was being a Christian. The only thing. For those of you who've seen it, it was brutal. It was absolutely... I would love to show it in here, but I don't because of the children. It is brutal. But I'm sure you could find it on YouTube if you looked. They did not love their lives unto the death. There's the commitment. Of whom the world was not worthy. Isn't that what it says in Hebrews? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Those dear ones in that video clip, I don't know when it was, how long it was ago, didn't seem that long ago. Living martyrs, dead martyrs. Heaven's got a special place for martyrs, by the way. You read the book of Revelation, they stand out. They stand out. It wasn't long until the church had its first martyr. Sure, it wasn't Stephen. And the list has continued to this day. Even the Pope has said this week that there's more martyrs today than there's ever been in the history of the church. You're an overcomer tonight. If you're born of God, Christ is your Savior, you're an overcomer. Say, I don't feel like it. I didn't ask you whether you felt like it or not. If you're going to go be your feelings, we go by the Word of God, we go by our faith. And even though our feelings may be screaming at us the opposite, this is what counts at the end of it. And even though we may have dropped or laid down our shield of faith, we can pick it up again and go forward and say, Lord, I'm still going to trust you. I'm still going to believe your truth. I'm still going to believe your promises. I don't know how, I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know what, but I know this is true. I don't feel it but I believe it by faith. You're an overcomer. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory, who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Ultimately, that means nothing. Nothing on earth, nothing under the earth. Lord, we thank you tonight that you have made us overcomers. Overcomers because we're born of your Spirit. 
Overcomers because of your word. Overcomers because of faith and trust in you. And we bless you for that tonight. So Lord, no matter what wind blows against us, we have set our seals. And we're going to trust that we'll get to the harbor. No matter what trial comes, not test comes, we're going to go through it in Jesus' name. And we're going to come out the other side in victory. So we give you thanks for this tonight, Lord. Bless those, Lord, who made the effort to come here tonight. Encourage them, strengthen them in the inner man. And Lord, we pray that as we go through this week, that we will have victory after victory after victory in Jesus' name. So thank you, Lord, for your words. Thank you, Lord, it encourages us. And Lord, we take up that shield of faith again and we quench all the fiery darts of the evil one that he would launch against us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we give you thanks tonight. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.